0: Welcome to DScoped, the payment security podcast, the go-to show from VGS, or FinTech product builders and leaders. You're about to hear a conversation from experts in payments, issuing, and data security, sharing their best practices and real-world experiences. Let's dive in.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to DScoped. I'm Megan Powers, part of the marketing team here at VGS. On this episode, I'm really looking forward to an interesting conversation with two leaders in the payment space, one from here at VGS and another um, from a leader in the buy now, pay later space, Uplift. Welcome to the show, VGS's own Nithin Bose and our guest, Kunal Shah from Uplift. Thank you, Megan. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks,
2: Megan. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, this this is going to be a good one. But we had some we had some big news in the BNPL space this week. So, and of course, we, we will address that. I'm going to read both both of their brief bios. Kunal Shah is currently working as the head of Treasury Payments and Capital Markets at Uplift, a startup company based in San Francisco, California. He's been with the company for about four years, during which he effectively scaled the platform, leading and collaborating across executive operational, and functional teams from initial product market fit to more than $100 million in annual revenue. He has administered various capital transactions, including warehouse credit facilities, corporate debt, whole loan sales, securitization, and bank partnerships. Prior to joining Uplift, Kunal provided mentorship to early stage companies like Ticker, Oculus, Mountain Lodge, and Adventure Locals. Kunal is skilled in capital raising, operational management, financial planning, and consulting, and strongly believes in data evangelism. He also possesses a master's in finance from Holt International Business School. I think we're in pretty good hands here today. All right. And also, Nithin Bose leads product and customer success at VGS. He's been at VGS for the past three years, helping build and scale the organization through its 10x revenue growth phase. He's a seasoned leader with a track record of building various go-to-market and R&D teams at both startups and larger publicly traded organizations. Nithin's initial career is rooted in technology consulting, helping large organizations drive transformation. Nathan is also a parent of a teenager and a naughty golden retriever. Will we have a visit from that golden retriever today during the I'm, show? You think?
0: I'm hoping not. <laughs>
1: That's actually my favorite. I have a I have a podcast co host on, on another show whose cat will, will like walk in front of her while she's talking and, you know, whipping her tail around. It's my favorite. All right. Awesome. That sounds actually
2: <laughs> right? fun. I'm looking forward to that if that happens. <laughs> we, had
1: a, we had a guest who was so in the zone, he didn't even notice. It was really, it was really funny. I love it. All right. So let's dive in. I, um, I'm going to ask you both. I'll start with, with Kunal and then we'll go to Nithin. Buy Now, Pay Later, BNPL. Um, how does it as a product
2: help consumers? So, first of all, thanks, Megan, for inviting me. Um, super excited to have this conversation. And I think really appreciate the background which you provided, uh, quite detailed. Um, how Buy Now, Pay Later helps consumers? So, it's a very really interesting question, in my opinion. If I think about binoylaator itself, like it's a good evolution from a naming convention uh in the last two odd years like I started to work in this industry in late twenty nineteen and I still remember at that point in time it was still named as point of self financing We still didn't have binoylalate as a nomenclature, uh, which I think is a phenomenon in the last uh, eighteen to twenty four months. Now, I think the product is very valuable from a consumer standpoint, and I'll give you a couple of examples of why I think personally it's very valuable. First of all, it really helps the consumer to split the purchases which they are planning to make online or in physical store over a specified number of payments of their desire. Now, why that's valuable compared to the current product out there is it's a very transparent and honest product because it tells the consumer what exact fees or the interest they would be paying over the course of the tenure of loan they're taking to finance whatsoever the purchase might be. It might be an electronic equipment, or it might be a travel, or it might be in relation to uh, just a gift card purchase for your family member. Personally, I've seen some stories which just makes me feel that this product is definitely needed. And I'll use two examples to just create that thought process. Uh, One is, and this was very early days when we started the business where the business was quite small and we used to have consumer awareness to understand what the actual thought process is. And We had encountered this young lady in uh, somewhere in Midwest, I wouldn't use the names, and she was actually able to travel and visit her grandparents' funeral, which she would have missed if the product was not available because he just did not have the ends available to make that transaction. And when we realized that, that this is something which is ongoing in the background, uh, that really helped us to launch more and more initiatives to make it available. So when I think about like such use cases, this, I think we're just scratching the head of how this product is utilized by different consumers and what use cases are um, coming to fruition. And I think this just definitely resonates of why it's a consumer-friendly product. Now, the second thing which I do want to emphasize, and I think there's a lot of uh, discussions going on on that second topic, is the debt entrenchment for the consumer. Like, is this product really incentivizing more debt behavior for the consumer? The short answer is no. The long answer, it really depends how the consumer is actually using the product if you are utilizing this product to make purchases which are near and dear to you and it's really required to have some financing assigned to it, then absolutely. But if consumer gets a addictive behavior where you're trying to finance each and every purchases starting from your toothpaste to your uh, any other additional accessories, I probably do not see that a right fit for a buy now, later financing. Product and I think there is some ongoing discussion still going on the um, groceries shape whether it's the right fit or not.
1: Yeah, well, that I, I want I want Nathan to answer too, but just on that, I I wonder it, there there should be a threshold, right? Because I feel like I'm getting offered it on you know I spend sixteen dollars on something on Amazon and they're asking me if I want to pay in four installments, which seems like a strange thing. So like perhaps the product should have that built in um, to it nathan what do you think
0: that, i mean that's an that's an excellent point uh megan the transaction value especially when you're on the hundreds and the thousands whether you're buying yourself a ticket to go see a you know family member or you're making a really important financial commitment towards that you just got yourself an apartment you need to buy yourself a mattress Those higher dollar transaction values really lend themselves very well to a buy now, pay later motion because you might just be a millennial or an actor who needs that level of flexibility that's needed. However, if you are offered a BNPL product, especially when you're buying candles for 10 bucks, I feel it's superfluous um, and it does not lend itself well and the word lend peace, you know, it's all pun intended, well towards promoting the right behavior the national independence.
2: Completely agree on that. I think like the minimum transaction amount has been one key differentiator, which I've noticed across the industry. Like there's one behavior, which I would say 12 months ago, there was a huge hype in paying four to pain three to paying six, which was just any transaction, let's try to split it and make it much more. Consumer acceptance, which partially is true, not on the other side. When you're dealing with a lending product, you need to make the consumers very well aware that this is actually a financing transaction and not paying things on time has repercussion impacts and not utilizing loan as a mechanics and like, hey, let's try to work with the regulation on the gray line. I just don't think it's the right framework for this industry to evolve on.
0: Yeah, when I mean, that is the net and benefit, Kanal. I would love to get your take on this on relative to a credit card, which clearly has limits, as well as much higher interest rates and fees on top, do you mind just unpacking it for our audience to make sure that they understand how a BNPL offering is A, more clear, and B, potentially a lot
1: cheaper?
2: Yeah. So I think we've done two things. So the product which we offer, is um, two-sided one which is an interest pairing which I think is very comparable to a credit card product where there is an interest rate charge to the consumer um, similar to credit cards. The only differentiation factor in there is in the credit card world even though there is an APR component or an interest rate which is charged to the consumer there is this opaqueness of what actually am I paying Like if I keep on paying this monthly minimum, then I'm not actually paying the APR which I signed up for. I'm paying much more higher fees compared to that APR. Versus in the buy Now pay later product, there is this clear transparency on the fees aspect of what the consumer is signing up for. So when you use this classic example of financing a $1,000 trip from San Francisco to New York, they would know that, hey, my interest rate is X. And because of that interest rate, I'm going to end up paying hundred bucks as the actual dollar amount and in interest and fees. There is no minimum payments. There is no hidden fees, which really gets uh, entrenched onto the consumer. So that's one clear distinction, which really helps the consumer. The second product, which we actually, I would say was an outcome of uh, COVID. say a lot more about COVID because our business actually was the one which experienced the downfall in travel. And we did actually see the Uh, incremental travel behavior as well. But one thing which we did identify during COVID was there is a need for this product. And if we decide to partner with merchants more holistically, there's a way to support consumer behavior and not really entrench them into debt as well. So we launched the 0% offering to our consumers. Now, our thought process was not when we were offering a 0% to consumer that let's try to make it a pain four or pain six product such that consumer can use it more aggressively. The thought process is like, where exactly does this make sense? I would say it does not make sense on many other businesses where the margins of that businesses are materially thin, even though the transaction value might be higher. Because if you cannot really subsidize that product from a merchant standpoint, it's very hard to really scale this product at the scale where much more larger or enterprise clients operate in. And one thing which we decided in that RAM was, one, hey, wherever the businesses from a travel standpoint have margins north of 20 percentage, this is a great product. It could really incentivize behavior. It is even more beneficial than credit card. The take rates on the checkout are even more comparable to the, I would say, innovative product launches, where I think last was PayPal, versus any other credit card. But the other side to it is, it just is not the right product for for an example somebody who is doing a business in the margin of one to two percentage and like if you cannot subsidize that for the consumer to have the behavior then it's probably going to be much more harder to sustain that in the long run even if you can create a awareness and some adoption in the shop.
1: i um, am a 49er season ticket holder and the first time this came up for me was when they said that i could pay monthly for 10 over 10 months with no finance charges or no interest, I thought, well, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I do that? (laughs) So, Nathan, did you want to ask about regulations?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a perfect segue, you know, there is the consumer protection piece of it, but also there is a whole lot of information being captured by a service that offers BNPL to be able to offer the product. I would love to get your take on have the regulations caught up to protect customers, not just around the the credit burden, but also around their information?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's a work in progress, in my opinion. Uh, I think we have established some frameworks, uh, which has been quite helpful. And there's still some frameworks which we need to establish as we move towards more of the open banking and open data sharing mechanics across the ecosystem. But I think two things which I would say to that point right now is one, there is at least an awareness of the product. Uh, I think the trajectory which we were going under in late 2021, where many providers just wanted to classify pain four and pain six as a non-lending product, I think that trajectory has subsided. Like we're not moving forward on that side which is very advantageous because the downside in there is scary in my personal opinion. And to the second of uh, data gathering and what data could help you really make the best credit decisioning is an evolving topic. But I think there are fine boundaries which have been drawn between regulatory allowed data components and non-regulatory allowed data components, which really helps to navigate the business on a day-to-day basis. Now, I think there are this gray areas, which it's very hard to differentiate, but I think there's a good indicators to identify from a credit behavior. And I'm seeing some trends shaping up in that, um, whether a customer is purchasing something at a very voracious hour, or whether a customer is trying to purchase something today and travel tomorrow and never pay back. So like there's this additional data components which are being generated in a purchase behavior, which I don't think are fully fleshed out or not even fully utilized from a data credit underwriting perspective. But I think we are moving in the right direction where newer and newer trends are shaping up. If I had to predict five years or seven years down the line, I wouldn't say the only credit reporting agencies are the data accumulator and the decision is just made on that. I think it would be a structure where, yes, we still value that component plus there is an additional purchase behavior, plus there is a additional information gathering based on just the identity of the consumer. So I think all three combined together is the next phase rather than just relying solely on the credit reporting uh, bureaus.
0: Thanks for that, Kunal. I mean, I've, we've seen a few of customers um, who essentially focus on buy now, pay later, and whether it's in the European region, Australia region, now, their whole premise has been, hey, we want to take an extremely, you know, let's say mature and conservative viewpoint on our data collection because inevitably the regulations will catch up, and you do not want to be on your back foot trying to react to it, and then it costs you time or money to be able to, you know, increase your posture. And so we have seen some of these players kick in as they launch their products to say, hey, I want to manage this consumer's data really responsibly. How am I getting their You know, social information. How am I getting? Am I sharing it with, with the bureau or you know any other background check service? All of that aspects become fairly involved. But I think your point is valid. You know, as this progresses, there could be a consortium of BNPL players coming together and saying, "Hey, we know the buyers' behavior are a whole lot better than the you know the traditional bureau-based approach, which tends to be." A little bit more cyclical, a little bit more in you know, delayed, so you can get a little bit more real-time information. So, yeah, great call-out.
2: Yeah, and I think like it's not to say that the reporting bureaus are completely out of the game. Like There is some very, very robust and reliable information in their world, which I think is very hard to find somewhere else. At the same point in time, I think the digital footprint which consumers have created in the last decade or so is just not constrained in that ecosystem. Like there are much more additional sources which could be utilized to make a better decision. And like again, not from a bad lens perspective, but for consumers' benefit perspective. Like if there is information available to provide a lower rate to consumer, absolutely utilizing that is going to be beneficial for the industry as a whole rather than. Just sticking to the traditional forms.
1: Yeah, I just heard that there now you can have your rent added in to your to your credit record, which I think is. I've always felt like we're paying the majority of our money. I mean, generally speaking, right into you know, um, rent, not necessarily a mortgage. So, You're yeah. living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the market. Um, it's gone through um some ups and downs as of late. So I'm going to start with Kunal and then Nithin, dive in where you see fit. I, I'd like to hear your perspective, Kunal, on how the market has evolved over the last 12 months and then particularly in the last month in light of the, the Silicon Valley Bank, et cetera, without going too far down that rabbit hole. But um, what, are your, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think it's a very good question. And like I think I was answering this to somebody else a week ago and it was framed in a different fashion for me, which was like, are we in the last innings of PNPL? And I think that was a very different way to frame that. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure to how to answer that. Like, it really depends what game are you playing. If you're playing baseball, I don't know, maybe fourth or fifth. If you're playing cricket, I don't know, maybe the second inning itself. So it's very hard to predict where we are. But I'll tell you two data points, which I think we look at to make how this is evolving And the macro things changing as well as the industry shaping itself. So one is this product was launched from my company perspective in 2016. I think in US, the penetration of that product was sub one percentage. And I think the most recent stats, which I saw was sub seven percentage as the entire payment method. And that phenomena has just happened in about eight years. Now, that's great. Like, I don't think there has been any payment method which has grown that aggressively in that short period of time. So that is very, very, very exciting and interesting um, industry to be in. Now, I think the second side to it is, is it only driven by online purchases and behavior to it? And my guess is no. We probably will see still some more traction around the online purchases than e-commerce related transactions having buy not pay later. I think the second side, which is evolving and partnership with bank, is if you could make credit decisioning up until $25,000, that's what we actually do for some cruises, under 20 seconds, that's valuable. That is really valuable. Now, if you take that thought process and try to apply, like, hey, can we extend student loans in real time rather than establishing this whole gruesome process, which still takes two days? Can we try to extend home credit, not within a month, but something within real time or within a week. And I think that's where already some movements are happening in the industry. Uh, some partnership are shaping out for just those credit products. It's hard to navigate in the environment when you say about SVB for sure, because all of these things are quite innovative and requires capital to solve. So it's very hard to predict like those macro environment implication on those innovations. But I think the right players had thought about each of those situations. Like you probably didn't think about one bank going down, but if you were establishing a scalable business, there was a thought process for redundancy, bringing in more matureness to your processes, not just putting all your eggs into one basket. I think we were beneficial of that strategy on vast majority of the cases. We don't have one banking relationship. We try to have multiple banking relationships. We don't have one credit facility, try to bring in multiple credit facility with the different asset structures, things like that. And those in the short term are very really hard to incorporate because consumes a lot of resources being a young company, but becomes the most valuable aspect when you start scaling in. And those are the things which can really protect you against those macro environments. So I don't have an answer Well, have we covered all of those going forward? But I think we have navigated fairly well at least as an industry, I would say, um, in whole. And as a next phase, I think there's a lot to be seen in the traditional form of credit and how BNPL disrupts that.
0: And just to add to that, uh, Megan and Kumail, we had a business on the acquiring side, traditional card-based, you know, acquiring, not even buy, not pay later, using SVB as that acquiring bank. And a couple of Mondays ago when, you know, The carpet was pulled underneath underneath their feet. They were essentially down. They couldn't process and support transactions. So within a few hours, they were able to switch to another processor with a different banking partnership and back up and running as a business. You would, you know, I feel like your point is extremely valuable and not well appreciated. As a scaling business, you do not pay attention to your treasury management, your diversification and to have redundancy in your business lines most businesses are focused on growth which i think is the right thing to do but you should be able to grow in a way that's sustainable and and weather these inevitable storms that come your way
2: i so strongly agree to that i'll give you my personal experience in this domain so when i joined this business i think within the first month i had an encounter of that feeling so we had put our all baskets into one egg from an acquiring standpoint and It's one of the major acquirers in the industry and like, hey, we can't just allow this. And if we do, we're going to require an additional reserve to navigate through that. So if you can imagine a young company who's trying to really scale up, that becomes the most difficult aspect to deal with when you have like, hey, all of a sudden you need to come up with a reserve and we can't get our own cash. And it's hard. It's really hard when you're trying to manage and create an innovative product. So I think our learning was in very early stages that we just cannot put all our eggs into one basket, even though that's the name for the industry where everyone relies on, because you just don't know how things could change and how that would impact you directly.
1: Definitely, all right. I um, love those examples. I wanna talk next about the, the big news of the week. Apple has introduced its own product, Apple Pay Later, Further proof of how prevalent uh, By Now Pay Later is. So, Nathan, do you want to dig into this one with Canal?
0: This is something that was announced last year. And it's, it was I mean, it was announced last year, but it was still in motion from, from last June, I would say. But I feel like the fact that it's here in the US um, definitely would play in uh, Apple Pay's becoming. Highly, highly prevalent in terms of usage. Just I use it constantly, whether it's from gas station to into donuts. Inevitably, I feel like this will change the dynamic. So, Kunal, I would rather, love to get your take on it.
2: Yeah, it has been the question for me in the last, I would say, three to four days from our investors, from our vendors, from different parties and stakeholders internally as well. I know, I think it's a Great product feature which Apple has launched. Like kudos to them, and like trying to roll this out at the scale where they are. Uh, like it does require a lot of thought out execution. So really congratulations to them to doing that at a scale. I think there are a few things here. Like number one, the initial rollout, the way I see it, is still on a much smaller universe of transactions. Uh, I believe the product is still rolled out with pain four feature with only $1,000 as the maximum. I'm guessing that's gonna change over the time as they have more information for customers and more reliable credit underwriting model to extend more higher amount of credit. Uh, But I think that is a very huge limitation when we see the user base we sovereign uh, in different verticals. Like I'll use a classic example for somebody who's trying to take a family to a cruise vacation that's a $5,000 ticket size item. Like it's not a thousand dollar line item at all when you try to book a cruise for a family of four. And I think that's where our product really comes into uh, fruition because we try to work with the merchant to really bring in that booking. So imagine us trying to work with that merchant and creating this offer at the time you're booking a cruise, it's gonna be much more nicely receptive by the consumer and the acceptance is also going to be higher compared to like, hey, I'm just there. I exist at the checkout flow. If you really need the credit, you can click on me. Now, that's not to say it's a bad outcome, but there is a better outcome out there by directly working with merchants and rolling out features rather than just being present at the checkout flow. The second, again, it's Apple, so I wouldn't say like we'll completely run this out and they wouldn't have the features, but it's it's not new. Like we had seen a similar story with PayPal uh, few months ago like paypal did the exact same launch on their side, and they see they see the benefit of doing so like all of a sudden this product is i believe last time i checked about five percent of the revenue on paypal side.
0: yeah yeah it's the fifth biggest yes paypal has a lot of captive audience but it's not the the, the name that comes up to the top and are different names that come up to the top to MB and BNPL, way higher than PayPal. yeah
2: exactly and like Whether PayPal is the example for Apple Pay or Apple Pay is going to be better than PayPal, I don't know the answer to that. But I think it's definitely interesting. We encourage behavior like this because it helps healthy competition in the market. And for us, we still believe in one thing, which is if you can really help merchants strongly to encourage the behavior and you're doing it with the right means, then there is a lot of market to be still captured.
1: So... I didn't I didn't say this at the beginning, but it's funny. I mean, you both have obviously shown us like this is this is a big deal. There's there's a big impact that BMPL is having. But it it just is funny as I was preparing for the show, it it occurred to me that like American Express on my, you know, pay over time started with that. And then but then to go even further back to age myself, I guess a little bit, QVC was the first I saw we're like, ooh, we could pay for this in four installments. So um we've obviously come a long way since then. And so I would like, I'm going to ask you both to look into your crystal balls for me. And um, tell me, um, what do you think, start with Kunal, what's the evolution of, of BNPL going to be moving forward?
2: So first of all, I think I got to know this insight, so I'll just share it. Somebody told me Amex had launched their buy now, pay later, like that's a new naming convention, but a point of sale financing similar to Planet back in 1995 in Japan. So like it's not at all a new product. I think the naming convention has been new, but the features of this can be really traced back like even far as two decades. So it's very really interesting to see how things have evolved. Uh, if I had to really t- take my crystal ball and guess, I think there are two things which I would predict. Uh, one is I think there's going to be a differentiation of uh, binpilator as a lending product and somebody who's trying to just make it easy as a payment. Like people who want to really make $100 to be split across four weeks and $25 payment, I think that's not going to be categorized in the long run as binoculated. It's just going to be a payment method or a type of payment uh, versus there's going to be an actual need of a lending product which makes quicker decisions, real-time decisions, make it accessible for the consumers to make purchases which they wouldn't have. Um, and I think we sit in much better on the second term rather than the first term. And the second, which is still evolving, uh, whether the industry is going to get differentiated by vertical or transaction size or geography is still TBD. Um, Given I think there are multiple names globally, it's still very early to predict how the amalgamation of those providers really come into fruition as these products really go at the global stage. I don't think there's still any global providers who holistically serve. Uh, many geographies but there is still multiple TVDs to come
0: in thanks i mean definitely you know when the bmpl's you know momentum picked up a year a year and a half ago there was this natural question of oh my god what does this does what does this do to visa and mastercard as the credit card based you know payment method under threat and clearly we see reactions even my chains has a can you split your payments? Especially a high dollar. If you go into your an account, it'll tell you. I think the big thing that you know inevitably we would see is some level of convergence of the other of the players, just because it's better economics from a from running the business and efficiency perspective, but also a much better customer experience as well. It's not like we'll ever remove the competition that's naturally needed, but there is synergies that I believe can happen. The Zip and a in a you know uh merger/ slash acquisition that did not go through you know potentially can go through again in the future with different players in the mix and uh, that I think is one thing, and second, Kunali touched upon this, which was natural diversification of higher dollar versus lower dollar products. I feel like there'll be a natural evolution of high risk, high dollar amount you know transaction decisioning, which is different from the low risk, I'm going to spot you money for the next month, that bifur- bifurcation will inevitably happen, in my opinion, and that'll change the way the consumer's behaviors will factor in than the credit reporting. And there is a CESL Plus, if I recall, uh, or CESL or whatever that thing is called, a premium offering, where you can opt in and push your information to a credit bureau. I feel that third component of you know, Cessels and the BNPLs then together can start creating, you know, that whole credit decisioning buyer behavior, payback behavior uh, on products that are complementary to your traditional products. I feel like that's another inevitable outcome that we should we'll see in the next two three years, if not five, of you know something which gives value and in, uh, for incentivizing the right behavior. Hey, you you consumed a BNPL product five times or 25 times this year, you should be able to get recognition for it because you paid off every one of those things in time. And when you do so, go for it.
2: No, that's actually so interesting because I think when you think about all this new concept, you think they're an outcome of like a new thought process or an innovative product launch. But I think like those are the core concepts of how things are done from a credit extension perspective. Because I'll use an example when you said about the high risk, high dollar value underwriting. We initially thought that is what our secret sauce was. Like we can actually underwrite high dollar amount, utilizing this additional component which nobody can do. And then we started really looking into the marketplace and it turns out like Citi used to do this even a decade ago for Costco. Like if a customer wants to finance a refrigerator there's a different rate versus somebody wanting to finance a bicycle and like the thought process was very basic like if, if something goes wrong i can go and really recoup a refrigerator but i have no ability to actually figure out what's going to happen with a bicycle So i think we are just utilizing those very basic principles of how can you really measure risk and underwrite for that and there are different flavors which are evolving
1: I love it. okay. So I think we really just scratched the surface, but um, we're, we're down to our final question, um, which we are like to ask each guest. So Kunal, who do you think is a person or a company out there that you're following, or who, who do you think is making waves in, in fintech or payments?
2: So, you know, it's actually very interesting. I, like I know many innovative fintech companies and they're doing very, very cool things. But if I had to really think somebody over the course of last decade who has done tremendous and has extreme potential, uh, like when I say extreme potential, really have the ability to stand in front of JP Morgan as a business, I would say SoFi. I think their secret sauce has been working very well over the course of first phase of their uh, startup journey, as well as the second phase where they are trying to establish themselves as a much more mature business. Um, The reason I really do like them is I think they had their niche in student lending product. Like This is the time when I was at Earnest. They were our competitors, and they did have a very, very, very competitive product. And at that point in time, the thought process was either you're going to scale up in that product and go ahead and compete in that industry with student loan lenders, or you're going to repivot the entire business and figure out this financial services for the new fintech ecosystem which has never been done in US ever. And that did not sound so encouraging initially when they thought of really launching that, but I've seen the progress over the course of last six to seven years and the product suit they have launched and the consumer base they have created. I do strongly feel if somebody has the potential to take in the Henry consumer base, the high earners, but not rich yet from JP Morgan Chase, it would probably be SoFi. And that's why I put my bet on them.
1: Interesting. All right, Nathan, do you have a quick answer?
0: Yes, I do, actually. I see a lot of merchants. I mean, this is a completely different side of the house than lending and buy now, i pay later, but I feel the natural momentum towards merchants being able to, you know, own their payments ecosystem, payments journey, and, you know, provide higher value services to their customers and reduce the fees they end up paying for it. Momentum like a store-branded card. Now, if it is new, however... The penetration is becoming a whole lot better. The adoption to, you know, drive in a lower dollar merchant is becoming a lot more easier. So the barriers are coming down. Whether it's Target doing a Red Card, which has got twenty percent penetration right now, phenomenal. To, you know, you know the brands like DoorDash and Instacart, who you know have the opportunity to, you know, mechanize and monetize an in cart in purchase transaction flow. One of the podcasts I was listening to a couple of weeks ago, the CEO of Delta Airlines said the third or the fourth biggest revenue line for them was the branded card that they have with Amex. It is massive. I feel that's an opportunity that is going to gain momentum as we, as we scale.
1: Can I... Appreciate you joining us so much and helping us understand a little bit more about Buy Now Pay Letter. As I said, it's um, just scratching the surface on this, but um, so much innovation and uh, and uh, really cool things happening in the space. So thank you.
2: No, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. It was a very interesting conversation. Definitely interesting to hear other thought perspective as well. So very, very, very interesting conversation. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Thanks. Yeah. And thanks, Nathan, for being my teammate on this one.
0: Appreciate it, Megan. You are a fantastic host
1: Thank you so much. All right, friends, if you enjoyed this show, we would love it if you would share it out with anyone else who you think um, would get value from it. We appreciate you listening to this episode of Descoped, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning
0: in to Descoped, the payment security podcast from VGS. For more insights, practical advice, and the latest trends in payment security, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or check us out at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.